Good morning. And happy Easter to you all. Allow me, allow me to note by way of public service announcement that last tune was by Mumford and Sons, not Twyla Paris. sounded pretty Christian to me. This morning I want to talk about hope as we conclude our Lenten series on hope new and otherwise. I want to talk this morning about hope misplaced, hope displaced, and hope replaced. Hope misplaced, hope displaced, and hope replaced. Our text this morning is in Luke's Gospel in chapter 24. Will you please stand for the reading of the word? On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself just what had happened. Now that same day, two of the disciples were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. And in addition to that, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are. 
And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened. and They recognized him. Then he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen, and he's appeared to Simon. And the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke bread. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. misplaced, hope displaced, and hope replaced. Verse 21, Cleopas and his companion said, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. This hope does not, at this point, seem to have been fulfilled, does it? Jesus has died. He's died a humiliating death, a painful death on a Roman cross. He has been buried, and the stone rolled over the entrance of the tomb And his followers are left wondering, now what? We thought he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And as they're wandering down the road to Emmaus, talking with each other, trying to figure this all out, who of all people shows up and says, hey guys, what are you talking about? Can you imagine... Like, you've just been through all this. Your Lord and Savior has been crucified. And you're on the road and you're trying to figure this out. And then some guy goes, hey, 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 what you talking about? <laughs> Jesus of Nazareth was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. They crucified him. But we had thought he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. And I think what Cleopas and his companion meant is not so much we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. What they're really saying is we had hoped that he was the sort of person we were expecting who would be redeeming Israel in the way we were expecting, in a manner that we were expecting. Their hope, I think if we're going to look at it accurately, was really not so much in God 
but it was in their expectations about God. Their hope was not in Messiah and the redemption that he was going to pull off for Israel, but it was in their conception of what the Messiah ought to be like, their expectations of how God would act through him, indeed their presumptions about God. I think often for us, our hopes, when they are misplaced, are misplaced because we tell ourselves that we are placing our hope in God, but in fact, what we are placing our hope in is not God himself, but our own ideas about God. And however good your ideas about God may be, they don't hold a candle to the real thing. Oftentimes we find ourselves in a situation where our hopes are dashed because we have misplaced them. We've placed our hopes in a person or in a relationship. Maybe we've placed our hopes in a job or a career. We've placed our hopes in a degree. We've placed our hopes in a church. And then things don't come out the way we were hoping for. They don't come out the way we expected. They don't come out the way that we would have had them come out if we had been God, which, frankly, is what we're trying to do. And sometimes God will graciously realign our misplaced hopes. Sometimes he will nudge them back into order. But other times he needs to displace our hopes. He needs to displace our misplaced hopes. Oftentimes what that looks like is letting our hopes run out, letting us play out our hand, letting us find out just where that road ends. Sometimes if the only place we're going to meet God is when we are at the end of our rope, he will graciously let us get there. And if it's not until our hopes are completely crushed that we will let him replace them, then sometimes he will graciously let us have it our way. But the good news is that God does not simply displace our misplaced hopes. He always replaces them. Always replaces our misplaced hopes. Because our hopes, when they are properly placed, are placed not in our expectations of what God is going to do or how he is going to do it. They're certainly not properly placed in our expectations for how our life is going to work out, whether we're going to have health or the prosperity or the whole relationships, the success that we would like to have. Our hope, as the old hymn puts it, is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Our hope, as we've been talking about through this series in Lent, is like a bridge strung between two firm pillars, the one being God's presence in our lives now and the other being God's sure promise 
of His presence in our lives later. And we can trust this because we know what His track record is. Here in the story, we have twice the disciples reminded of God's faithfulness. The angel says, hey, didn't you remember? Remember when when he was still with you in Galilee? Remember he told you the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, must be crucified, and on the third day be raised again? And then they said, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right, he did say that. (laughs) Then they remembered his words. I guess when he said he must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again, that he was going to be delivered over, crucified, and be resurrected. Go figure. And then Jesus on the road to Emmaus with Cleopas and Cleopas' companion saying, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. I go back and forth on this one. I don't know if Jesus is just breaking their... If Jesus is just giving them a hard time. I don't know if Jesus is exasperated with them. I don't know if he's yelling at them. After three years with you guys, did you not get enough proof texts out of the Old Testament with me? Either way, he says, this is what Moses and all the prophets were telling us, that the Messiah was going to have to suffer these things and enter glory. This, This is not some brand new idea. This is... Incidentally, very important when we read the story of Jesus, when we understand what the early church believed about him. They did not think that he showed up and just jettisoned everything that had been happening before that, that God was doing an entirely new thing that was completely discontinuous with what was happening before. Jesus said, you'll remember, in his Sermon on the Mount, and he said it in his Sermon on the Plain, heaven and earth is going to pass away before one jot or tittle of the law passes away. I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I didn't come to take Torah and throw it in the trash can. I didn't come to put that in a box and seal it up and stick it in the back of the storage room. I came to fulfill all of that. I am what all of that was pointing to and leading toward. I am the one that they all speak about. And so beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning him. Our hopes misplaced are always replaced. Sometimes that displacement comes in between the misplacement and the replacement. Sometimes that displacement is a painful thing. It's disorienting. It's often embarrassing. But this is what God the great physician does to cut out those misplaced hopes poison us replace them with something that is right and true 
good. What Jesus did was not what the people closest to him were expecting him to do. You remember, we just read Thursday night in Luke's Gospel when one of them says, okay, hey, should we now call down fire from heaven? No, that's not not what we're trying to do here, guys. When we take communion, as we're about to do, we remind ourselves not only of Jesus' death, not only of the fact that we are in fellowship with his followers throughout the world today as well as over the last 2,000 years, we also remind ourselves that we are joining in with his followers, going all the way back to his very first disciples who first celebrated this meal with him and were not expecting for it to mean what it meant. We are affirming that we worship a God who took on flesh, dwelt among us, died an atoning death for our sake, and then on the third day rose from the dead as a validation of all of the crazy, unbelievable things that he had said about himself and what he was up to. There's something so radically counterintuitive, so absurd, really, about eating bread and taking a little sip of wine and affirming that we are somehow now remembering Jesus in this eating of his body and drinking of his blood. But that's what he told us to do. And so we do it. There's a sense in which when we do this kind of absurd thing, we admit to God that our expectations, our presumptions, our misplaced hopes are always subject to his displacement. And we pray always that he would replace what we have misplaced. I invite you to stand now with me. We'll say together the words of the creed. After that, I'll invite you to come forward and take the elements. Please uh, just take them from us up front and then bring them back to your seat, and then we will uh, partake of them together. The red is wine, the white is grape juice, and the bread is unleavened. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he came incarnate in the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven 
and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.